0: We welcome you to the tabernacle podcast brought to you by the tabernacle baptist church in hickory north carolina if you'd like to learn more about tabernacle you can visit our website tabernaclebaptistchurch.com you can find other sermons like this one on apple podcast youtube and sermon audio it is our prayer that god has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart first corinthians chapter number nine and by the way the material we're going to cover this evening isn't really something I've looked forward to preaching on. Uh, But nevertheless, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through 1 Corinthians. And so uh, God's Word is here for our instruction, for our prophet, and uh, we uh, plan uh, to cover it. So let's begin reading in uh, verse number 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not of an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and of Cephas? Or I own in Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth the vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partaker of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ." Do ye not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the, the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And under the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. That I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. I want you to look with me, if you would please, in verse number one. We note the question that the Apostle Paul asks here, And I believe it's not the fact that he's asking it, but he is repeating it. He's repeating a question that he has received from the Corinthian believers. Here's the question, am I not an apostle? That's the title of the message this evening, am I not an apostle? As we have been traveling through the book of 1 Corinthians, it has become evident to us that The Corinthian church was a gifted church. It was a blessed church, but it was a church with problems. The people were divided along the lines of personality. That's one of the first things that we learn about the church. There were those who said, we follow Paul. He's our man. There were others who said, no, we follow Apollos. There were those who said, no, we follow Peter. And then there was a group that said, no, we don't follow any of those guys. We only follow Jesus. Now, Paul was an apostle. Peter was an apostle. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Apollos was mightily used of God and a great preacher of the Scriptures. But the people were divided along the lines of personality, unnecessarily so. And so the Apostle Paul, having received a question concerning his apostleship, perhaps from those who said, we're, we're in Apollos' camp. Or maybe they were those who were in Peter's camp, or maybe those two groups got together and they said, listen, there are things about Paul we, we just don't really like. In fact, who does he think he is? Is he really an apostle? And they begin to criticize him. And he got reports of it, and apparently, as, as we've noted throughout our study of 1 Corinthians, he is answering many questions that were given to him. There were questions on marriage that we looked at. And in chapter 8, when we looked at the question of liberty, these were questions that the church had submitted to him. And so now here in chapter 9, he answers another question. This is a question about his apostleship. We're going to note four things in this passage. We'll try to get through them this evening if we can. Number one, we're going to see the apostle and his critics. Number two, the apostle and his compensation. Number three, the apostle and his commission. And number four, the apostle and his concern. We're going to find many truths here that deal with uh, the context of a local New Testament church. They don't just simply deal with the apostle Paul, but they are going to deal then with all those who are ministers in the local churches. I want you to know this was in the Bible before I arrived. (laughs) And long after my departure, it's still going to be here, right? And uh, this is the kind of a a message that a pastor understands he needs to preach, but he certainly takes no delight in preaching it because he doesn't want anyone to think that he's doing doing so to advance his own cause. And I can tell you for certain that's not my motive this evening. As I said, we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going chapter by chapter verse by verse. That's the great thing about preaching the Bible. I don't have to cherry pick the subjects that I preach. God gives me the subjects one verse at a time. And so we come to chapter 9, and we find out what the Lord has to say about the matter. So let's look at it. First of all, number one, the apostle and his critics. Notice the question again, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? So there was the question. The critics had gathered. They said, wait a minute. I mean, who is this Paul? Who does he think he is? Now remember, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. The longest that I can find in my study, a duration of any time that he was in any one place. He ministered there. People were saved. The church was established, disciples We're strengthened and growing. And we know that this church came behind in no gift. It was a thriving church. It had its problems, as we've noted, immorality, division, carnal thinking. But it is a blessed church and a gifted church. And they begin to question Paul's apostleship, his authority. When we read the word power, we see it in verse 4, have we not power to eat? And to drink. Verse five: Have we not power to lead about a sister? We find that word used again in uh, verse number twelve. If others be partaker of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power. So we find that word again in verse number uh, eighteen. He said in the close of the eighteenth verse, "I abuse not my power in the gospel." So we find that word used several times in this passage, power. What does that word mean? It means authority, authority. Does the apostle have authority? And really that's the question that is at hand here. And so he's answering his critics. Now he begins by affirming his position. He begins by affirming his position In replying to their question, he gives them a question. Am I not an apostle? Now, an apostle was someone who was granted power and authority. Remember, the Lord Jesus gave his disciples power. They were to minister uh, on his behalf, to preach the gospel in all the world. Uh, These apostles and they were men who were gifted men spirit filled men and they had unusual gifts for example they performed miracles paul raised a young man from the dead peter uh, raised a man from the dead they healed people they had the gift of healing these were the apostles they were unusually used now why were they unusually used why were they unusually gifted Because these, as the eyewitnesses of the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, were endued with authority and power, ordained by God to deliver the truth of God. They gave the commands of God. They had authority in the church. They made judgments in the church. And chiefly through them, the the Holy Spirit gave the word of God. And so when there were many false teachers and uh, many attempts by the devil to to deceive the people by uh, giving people scripture that was not from the Lord, the test of the authority of that scripture was, did it come from an apostle? Did it come from an apostle? So the office of an apostle was an extremely important office. And here Paul begins answering his critics by affirming his position. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? John Phillips writes concerning this statement, Am I not free? Uh, That Paul mentions his freedom here. He says he was under bondage to no man. He was free from the law. He had a free hand to exercise his rights or to give up his rights. His critics, arguing from what they would have done themselves, given his standing and status in the church, thought that if he were really an apostle, he would have asserted his rights. And we're going to find out those rights concern his financial support. That was one of them. But he did not assert them. He did not give them up. And so Paul, in addressing this question, states, yes, I'm free. I'm free from the opinions of men. I'm free from uh, the yoke of bondage that they might seek to put on me. I'm an apostle ordained of God. I answer to no man but to the Lord. He affirmed his position. And secondly, we see here that he appealed to his proof. He appealed to his proof. If he's not an apostle, he said, then who are you? Look at it if you would, please. Uh, Here we go again in verse number one. The last question he asks in verse number one, are not ye my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle, then let me ask you a question. How did you get here? That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. There would be no church if God hadn't sent me there, if I hadn't preached the gospel, if you hadn't heard it and not responded If you had not grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, there would be no church today. Look at verse 2. If I be not an apostle unto others, there were outside attacks, outside criticisms. If I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am to you. For the seal, the proof, the evidence of my apostleship are ye in the Lord. So he appealed to his proof. He affirmed his position. Then we notice, thirdly here, he answered their protests. He answered their protests. Now, notice in verse 3, My answer to them that do examine me is this. John Phillips points out in his commentary that Paul, of course, has maintained a humble spirit in addressing the criticisms that were sent his way. I want to ask you a question when you're criticized especially when you perceive it to be unfair or you when you perceive it to be an attack how do you respond I think we learn a great lesson here from the apostle Paul don't we it's a great lesson for pastors to learn here as well because oftentimes pastors those in ministry are criticized and that comes with the job and so Paul responded to his critics in a reasonable and responsible manner. Phillips writes this, He did not suffer from an inflated ego or stand up on his dignity or pull rank on his detractors. He goes on to write, Sometimes men who hold high office get so that they cannot tolerate the slightest challenge to their authority or the mildest questioning of their demands. Evidently, Paul's critics were not sparing him any pain In putting him to the question. Evidently, too, Paul could take even that in his stride. If his Lord was willing to subject himself to such hostile and injurious cross-examination, then why should he complain when he was similarly treated? You see, here we find Paul responding to his critics, but not responding in his flesh, not responding in an indignant way, responding in humility, Receiving the criticism and responding to it in the correct fashion. Now, part of the criticism concerned his finances. We see it here in verse 4 Have we not power to eat and drink? Now, we note that Paul was a tent maker by trade. And we note that he worked as a tent maker throughout many of his missionary journeys and supported himself. We know that because he testifies of it. He did not receive all of his support from churches or Christians. He didn't wait on that. He, he didn't go on a, a deputation campaign and a support campaign uh, to, to gather and garner that support. He was sent out as the Spirit of God sent him from the church, and he went out trusting God. And he had a profession, and he exercised that. And that seemed to be a matter of criticism for many. Who does Paul think he is Uh, by working? Should he not uh, give himself fully to the message of the gospel? Should he not rely upon the people of God to support him? And so here Paul insists on his right, if he chooses to be supported in the ministry by the church, and so he says, have we not power to eat and to drink? So he says, we have the authority, we have the right to expect that we're going to be supported by the church that sent us out, right? The church at Antioch. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier just a moment ago, uh, Paul would oftentimes choose to work. And there were those who questioned that and criticized him for that. Uh, There are those here that he's answering who criticized him for taking offerings. And he said, wait a minute, we have the right to expect being sent by the church, surrendered to God, sent by the Holy Spirit, into the mission field, we have the right to expect that the church is going to be behind us prayerfully and financially. And concerning our material desires, our material needs, rather, to eat and to drink. You know that what's the old saying? <laughs> when when we when we think about uh, a job, we say, "Well, we got to eat, right? We got to be able to afford to eat." Well, this is what he's saying: we need to eat, and we need your support. Then we see not only was there criticism concerning his finances, but he answered their protests concerning his family. Now we do know that Paul was not married. There are those who think perhaps his wife had died. There are others who think he had no wife at any time. Uh, we have no record of him ever being married, so I, I think it's safe for us to, to uh, conclude that he was never married. But there were those apostles, there were those disciples who, who did have families, who were married. For example, Peter had a wife, right? And so there were criticisms by those who uh, began to question Paul, maybe on the matter of his singleness, To criticize him for not being married so in verse 5 he says have we not power to lead about a sister a wife as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas in other words we have the right to marry if we choose we have the right to remain single if we choose now in these criticisms here's what we find we find something about how fickle people can be in their criticism right Here's what Jesus said about it, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 16 through 19. He says, but where shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. For John, speaking of John the Baptist, he came neither eating nor drinking and they say he hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Here's John, you know, strange, unusual, quirky John who lives out in the wilderness and eats uh, locusts and wild honey, and he's criticized for being uh, sort of an ascetic type of a life, living an ascetic style of life. Then there's Jesus who... Uh, was invited to eat with publicans and sinners and attended those meals and sat with those people because he loved them. He was a friend of sinners and publicans, and he was criticized for that. So John is criticized for not eating and not being social, and Jesus is criticized for eating and being social. So here we have the fickle nature of critics. Uh, Let me read another quote from John Phillips. He said with some people, nothing he did was right. Speaking of Paul, if he accepted money for his ministry, that was wrong. He was just in it for the money. If he declined to be supported financially, that was wrong. He was being too independent. For him to remain single was suspicious. For him to get married would be wrong too. If it would hinder his freedom. If he were married but left his wife at home, that would be wrong. People would say they didn't get along. If he were married and brought his wife along on the trips, what kind of life was that for a woman, people would ask. And besides, why should they pay her travel expenses (laughs) (laughs) as well as his? The fickle nature of critics. There are always going to be critics. In fact, some of the chief critics we look at every day in the mirror, We're critical people. We're judgmental people. And may God deliver us from it. We're always going to have critics to deal with. Pastors are always going to have critics. And I hope in 13 years I've grown a little bit in responding to them and not taking it so personally. At the end of the message, I hope to just give you some practical thoughts about that. Number two, the apostle and his compensation. Now, this is a touchy subject, isn't it? If, if you're one of those folks who not been to church in a while, and you say, every time I go to church, the pastor talks about giving. I'm just telling him, we showed up here tonight on chapter 9, right? So I, apparently God's trying to get your attention about this. Now, here's the question concerning his occupation. Now, notice verse 6. He said, or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. So Paul said, okay, I, I can work. I have worked as a tent maker. I have paid my own way, bought my own tickets to get from one city to the other on boats and travel. I've done that. I've, I've met my own needs through my the labors of my hands, but... I also have the authority to forbear working with my own hands to give myself fully to the ministry of the gospel when necessity says I must do so and trust that God's going to supply my needs through his people. So we get a great principle here and here it is. Pastors, evangelists, missionaries depend upon the financial support of God's people. Pastors, evangelists, missionaries, depend upon the financial support of God's people. Now, these pictures that we're going to see here illustrate this truth. There are three pictures. Look at it, if you would, in verse 7. Who goeth to warfare any time at his own charges? Now, we honored our veterans today. They went to battle for us, some of them. At least they were willing to go to battle. Some of them didn't actually see battle, but some have seen battle. Those who didn't see battle were trained to go to battle and prepared to support in battle. And those who did see it not only were trained, but obviously entered into it. So he says, who goeth a warfare at any time at his own charges? All of you men who stood, you went in to the military service with the thought in mind that if so, if necessity required it that you would be willing to fight. Now, you didn't give two years or four years or six years or whatever the case may be. and Some gave 20 or 25 years of their lives in military service. You didn't do so expecting that you were going to get a part-time job at Walmart and try to figure out how to raise your family. No, you received wages as the result of your military service. Those people that you fought or trained to fight for and protect and defend they with their tax money help support you who goeth the warfare at any time at his own charges so soldiers then second one is the sowers who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof so here's the picture the farmer in the field and he's planting the vineyard he's sowing the seed and what does the, he expect he expects that the fruit that he Uh, gleans from that investment that he is making, that work he is engaged in, will sustain him. So when you plant your garden in the spring, what are you expecting? A harvest. And you expect to enjoy that harvest. Those homegrown tomatoes, aren't they so good? That garden supper, those cucumbers. I mean, you expect to enjoy that. And so the soldiers, the sowers, and then the shepherds, he he asked this question, or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? The shepherds who tend to the sheep, they benefit from their service. They benefit from the fruit of their labors. So here are the pictures which illustrate this truth concerning the fact that pastors, evangelists, missionaries, depend upon the people of God for financial support. Now, not only do we see these pictures, but we note the precepts which are commanding or which have commanded this truth. The precepts which have commanded this truth. Now, notice it, if you would, in verse 8. Say I these things as a man. In other words, am I just saying this to you as Paul the apostle, as the preacher out here who wants you to give him money? That's what he's saying. Say I these things as a man or saith not the law the same also. Verse number nine, are you reading it? For, would you read the next few words? It is what? Written in the law of Moses. Paul said, hey, this isn't something I made up. This is something that is written in the law of Moses. Well, what was written there? Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Now, here's the ox. He's plowing the field. He's treading out the corn, uh, helping the the reapers to to reap the corn. He's doing a lot of work, this ox is. If you want the ox to be productive, what do you have to do? You got to feed him. You got to feed him. And so they're feeding the ox, and in return, being fed as a result of the efforts of the ox. And so God gives this truth. In the commandments of the law of Moses. So then he asked this question in verse 9: Doth God take care for oxen? Is this all about just the oxen? Well, obviously, God cares about the oxen, but the principle is important. Verse 10: Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? Then he concludes with the answer: For our sakes, no doubt, this is, what's the next word, church? Written. This is not just some conjecture on Paul's part. This is a truth, a precept commanded by God. That he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Now, Paul adds a personal note here, a personal note of commentary. Look at it in verse number 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, which he had, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? In other words, if we have invested our lives in you spiritually, if we've imparted to you the truth of the gospel, if you've come to know Christ as Savior, you have a home in heaven, you're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, we're here to help guide you and and talk with you and pray with you, counsel you then is it it asking too much that we would receive a wage, carnal things? Verse 12, if others be partaker of this power over you, if others have the right, the authority to benefit financially from you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power. We've not exercised this authority over you but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Here's what we find about Paul. Now, we pick back up on this theme of liberty, right, from chapter number 8. Paul is giving us a picture of an example of one who has liberty, who has a right to expect something, but because of his concern for the gospel, his concern for his integrity, and how he is perceived by the people. Paul, in this case, at least with the Corinthians up to this point, has said, I won't take your money. I won't take your money. Now, there were other churches from other places who were supporting him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, he speaks of the Macedonians who in their poverty, in their great need, ministered to him but here he finds because of the concerns that the gospel would be hindered that people would come to the wrong conclusion in this case he does not exercise his right his authority to expect that they the corinthians were going to minister to him personally he said we suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of christ So there's a personal note there from Paul. Now he picks back up in verse number 13 with the precepts. He says, Do you not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar? Now he's speaking of the priests, the tribe of Levi. And, and, And remember, the Levites had no inheritance in Israel. Their inheritance was dispersed among the other tribes, and they lived off the gifts of the people and off the land of the people of God. And when people would bring their offerings uh, to the tabernacle or to the temple in the Old Testament, when they would give of those offerings, the priests would take a portion of the meat, and that's what they fed their families with, the families of all those who served in the in the temple, in the tabernacle, uh, they would feed their families based on the gifts, the sacrifices that were made in worship to God. That's how they were compensated. It's an Old Testament principle that all were accustomed to and acquainted with. And so in verse 14, he said, even so hath the Lord, what's the next word there? Ordained. Ordained. This isn't my idea, Paul is saying. This is God's ordinance. This is God's command. This is the way God has ordered this thing to work. That they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I've used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void now if you go with me to 1st Timothy chapter number 5 we're going to see this principle as it is stated yet again with emphasis 1st Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 17 he says here let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially they who labor in the word and doctrine For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Well, we read that a moment ago, did we not? And here again, Paul uh, writes concerning this principle. But now he's not writing necessarily directly to the Corinthian church. No, he's writing to Timothy, the pastor of the Ephesian church. Now, the church is going to hear this. Timothy's going to read this to them. Because this truth is not only for Timothy, it's for the church. But he's saying here, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. He goes on to say there in verse 18, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So here he speaks of the fact that the elders that rule well should be counted worthy of double honor. Well, who's he speaking of here when he speaks about elders? He's speaking of those who are in a pastoral position. Remember now, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 5 a few times, and as we've looked at that, we've noted there are three titles for one office, elder, bishop, and pastor or shepherd. Three titles for one office. Elder speaks of maturity. Bishop, overseer, uh, speaks of, of oversight. And shepherd speaks of ministry. So, ministry, management, oversight, bishop. Ministry, management, and maturity, elder. You need a man who is mature. And the elder is, is to, to oversee, he, he's to rule. That's what and rule, what I mean is not rule in his own personal interest or as some uh, autocrat. That's not his role. But he is to lead under Christ. All right? And so he says, the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine, those who preach the word and teach the word of God, are to be counted worthy of double honor. Now this word honor obviously means this. It means reverence, respect, respect. We, we we dare not lose our respect for the position of the pastor. We need to keep that respect. Because he cares, he watches for our souls. That's what Hebrews tells us. Reverence. It doesn't mean he's to be treated as a king. It doesn't mean that he's right on everything he says. It doesn't mean that he's some totalitarian dictator because that's not the biblical model. Do you know who the head of the church is? Jesus Christ. In all things, he might have the what? The preeminence. A godly, God-called shepherd is not a king. He's a shepherd. That's a lowly position in the ranks. When the world views it from the outside, but it's a noble uh, profession. It's a high calling. And make no mistake about it, it is a calling. It's not something that you choose for yourself. It is something that God chooses for you. And having received that calling, there's nothing else in my, there's nothing else in this world I'd rather do than what God has given me to do. I'm so grateful for it. But a pastor is to be counted worthy of the double honor. Reverence and then compensation. I I don't think that this verse is teaching that the pastor ought to get double pay. Some disagree with me. I just think it means that he's to be cared for. I remember when I came here to this church, Mr. Shook was the chairman of the deacons, and he hesitantly, I mean painfully asked this question to me. Those of you men who were in the room remember perhaps him asking this question. He says, what do you need to come here to be the pastor? And I remember answering the question. I was prepared to answer the question. I said, that is up to God and to the men in this room to determine And I'm in it. I think that's the answer he probably wanted to hear. By the way, that's not the answer. I I didn't give him that answer because I thought he wanted to hear it. I gave him that answer because I believed it to be true. You see, if God wants me to serve as the pastor here, that's all that matters. If God leads me to be the pastor, then he's going to lead the church to decide what it's going to take for the pastor to feed his family and support them. And that's the way this has worked for 13 years. And let me just say this: this church takes care of me, takes care of me and my family, and I thank you for your commitment to do that. But let me just say this: this church not only takes care of me and my family, but this church takes care of our staff and their families. And I want to thank you for that, because that's that's a, that's that's a a reflection of your heart. And I want you to know it's noted, and we're thankful for it. And when I'm gone and the next man comes, take care of him and follow him. So we've noted here just two things tonight. Number one, the apostle and his critics. He had them, but he responded to them in the right way. He kept his head. He affirmed his position. He appealed to the proof, and he answered their protests. And then we noted the apostle and his compensation. We saw three pictures that illustrate the truth that the pastor, the evangelist, the missionary depends upon the financial support of God's people. The soldier, the sower, the shepherd all all give us this picture. Then we noted the precepts which command this truth, the law of Moses, and then the truth that Paul, as an apostle, gave, even so, verse 14, hath the Lord ordained. And then, of course, we noted what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, there are two more things we need to cover. We won't cover them tonight. Number three, the apostle and his commission. This was the motivation of his heart. It's not the money. It's the call of God upon his life. And then the apostle and his concern. And we'll note those two things next time so let me just give you and leave you with just a couple of practical notes encourage your pastor encourage your pastor now i'm not saying this for my benefit i'm truly not but encourage your pastor instead of criticizing him find ways to commend him it's almost in fashion these days to criticize, right? In fact, there's a whole movement on social media that, that, that seeks to criticize pastors and tear down the work of God. I think there's a lot of things to commend them for. I've had pastors in my lifetime, I thank God for them. None of them have been perfect men, not one of them but they've been men of honor, men of integrity. By the way, there are a few guys who are not men of honor and men of integrity. You let the Lord and his church take care of that, all right? It's not our business to get into everybody else's problems. If you have a godly pastor who walks with the Lord, who desires to serve him, pray for him, encourage him, commend him. If you have a concern, what should you do? Well, I think the first thing you should do is pray about it, don't you? Pray about it. Give it some time. You might have clarity in two or three days or two or three weeks that you don't have right now. You know, we're often uh, we're often quick to make judgment calls on the fly, to think we have all the facts when we don't. And sometimes if we would just give it a day or two, Reasonable thinking might come to our mind or some element of truth that we didn't have before that we so desperately needed. Now, if the concern remains, then talk to the pastor about it. Talk to him. I'm available to you, and I will talk to you. Now, try to do it at the right time and in the right spirit. Right before I'm going to the pulpit is not a good time, by the way, Don't leave your pastor hanging. i got a problem I need to talk to you about next Wednesday. (laughs) What's he going to think about until next Wednesday? Do you know the scenarios that are going to run through his mind until next Wednesday? Ask yourself, is this a biblical matter or is this a preference? Pray for your pastor. Follow your pastor as he seeks to follow Christ. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. If you have a pastor who's seeking to follow the Lord, he's not going to be perfect, but you can follow him. You can follow him, and you can talk to him. Pay your pastor. Compensate him. As I said, this church does a tremendous job of that, and I'm thankful. Serve alongside your pastor. It's not my job to do all the work in this church. It's my job to fill the pulpit. It's my job to pray for you my job to pray with you it's my job to be a blessing to you and i enjoy that job i delight in people say to me oh pastor i don't want to bother you i'm so sorry to take up your time that's what i'm here for that's what i'm here for now again you got to choose those times you know i can't have a 30 minute conversation with you after the service is over not in most cases because there are hundreds of people to tend to there are visitors to meet and greet, and there are things to be cared for. But if you need to have a conversation, I'll have one with you. And I want to. I want to. Seek, here's the last one, to understand the burden your pastor is under. Understand what he's been called to do, understand what his ministry is for, and the burden that he carries. You know what's been on my mind tonight? I mean, we've got a good crowd. We've got a a decent crowd, I guess you might say. But there's a lot of people not here. There are people that haven't been here in a few weeks. I'm wondering where they are. Do you think it's important for the church to gather? Right there's a good time for you to say amen. It's important for the church to gather. So let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. Let's serve him together. Amen? Amen. Am I not an apostle? You see, let me tell you why that was an important question, and I'm done. I know this has been long. It's an important question because here's what the devil knows. If he could have, minimize Paul's influence and impact on the Corinthian church, he would have limited Paul's influence. He would have opened the door for false teachers. And I want you to know that today, if the devil can get in between me and you, then he knows he can hinder the pulpit ministry of this church and how it impacts your life and your children. And that is a relationship that must be protected. And so let's commit to protect it together. And listen, some of you know me well. I listen. I have no problem telling you I'm wrong. I have no problem telling you I'm sorry. If I make a mistake and I make them every day, I got no problem with that. I think after 13 years, I don't take criticism as personally. I don't enjoy it. I'll tell you that. So please don't heap it on me. But if you have a need, if you have a question, if you have a concern, by all means, ask it. Let me tell you what cowards do, and I hate to use that word. Cowards don't have the courage to ask the questions. Let me say that again. Cowards do not have the courage to ask the questions because they don't want the answers. Here's what they want. They want to go on in their preconceived notions and say what they want to say. And they do not realize that they're being used of the devil. So may God help us to be filled with courage. And let's come together around truth. Thank you for giving me the liberty to preach a difficult sermon. Thank you for loving me. I think you know that I love you